Lie to yourself about this, and you will forever lie about everything. Everybody already knows everything, so you can lie to them. That's what they want. But lie to yourself. What, will you, what you will lose is yourself. Then you turn into them. For each gay kid whose adolescence was America in the 40s or 50s, the primary, the crucial scenario forever is coming out. Or not, or not, or not, or not, or not. Involuted velities of self-erasure. Quickly after my parents died, I came out. Foundational narrative designed to confer existence. If I had managed to come out to my mother, she would have blamed not me, but herself. The door through which you were shoved out into the light was self-loathing and terror. Thank you, terror. You learned early that adults' genteel fantasies about human life were not, for you, life. You think sex is a knife driven into you to teach you that. until we could. I knew it then, in that room where we found for the first time our eyes and everything, even the din and smoke of the city around us disappeared, leaving us alone as if we stood the last two in the world left capable of love, as if two mirrors face to face with no end to the light our eyes could bend into infinity. I knew since I knew you, but we couldn't. I caught the sunlight pining through the shears, traveling millions of dark miles simply to graze your skin as I did that first dawn I studied you sleeping beside me. Yes, I counted your eyelashes, read your dreams like butterflies flitting underneath, your eyelids ready to flutter into the room. Yes, I praised you like a majestic creature my God forgot to create till that morning of you suddenly tamed in my arms, first for me to see, name you mine. Yes, to the rise and fall of your body breathing, your every exhale, a breath I took in as my own, wanting to keep even the air between us as one. Yes, to all of you. Yes, I knew, but still we couldn't. I taught you how to dance salsa by looking into my Caribbean eyes. You learned to speak in my tongue while teaching me how to catch a snowflake in my palms and love the gray clouds of your gray hometown. Our years began collecting in glossy photos timelining our lives across shelves and walls glancing back at us, us embracing in some sunset, more captivated with each other, than the sky brushed plum and rose, us claiming some mountain that didn't matter as much as our climbing it, together, us leaning against columns as ru- of ruins as ancient as our love was new, or leaning into our dreams at a table flickering candlelight in our full-mooned eyes. I knew me as much as us, and yet we couldn't. Though I forgave your blue eyes turning green each time you lied, but kept believing you. Though we learned to say good morning after long nights of silence in the same bed, 
though every door slam taught me to hold on by letting us go and saying, your right became as true as saying, I'm right, till there was nothing a long walk couldn't resolve, holding hands and hope under the streetlights, lustering like a string of pearls guiding us home, or a stroll along the beach with our dog, the sea washed by our smiles, our laughter roaring louder than the waves. Though we understood that our love was the same as our parents, though we dared to tell them so, and they understood. Though we knew we couldn't, no one could. When the fiery kick lines and fires were set for us by our founding mother fathers at Stonewall, we, we first spoke defiance. When we paraded glitter, leather, and rainbows made human, our word became pride down every city street, saying, just let us be. But that wasn't enough. Parades became rallies, bold words on signs and mouths until a man claimed freedom as another word for marriage. And he said, let us in. We said, love is love proclaimed it into all eyes that would listen at every door that would open until no's and maybes turned into yeses. Town by town, city by city, state by state, understanding us and the woman who dared say enough until the gravel, gavel stuck into law what we always knew. Love is the right to say I do and I do, and I do. And I do want us to see every tulip we've planted come up spring after spring, a hundred more years of dinners cooked over a shared glass of wine, and a thousand more movies in bed. I do until our eyes become voices speaking without speaking, until like a cloud meshed into a cloud, there's no more you, me, our names useless. I do want you to be the last face I see, your breath, my last breath. I do, I do, and will, and will, for those who still can't vow it yet, but know love's exact reason as much as they know how a sail keeps the wind without breaking, or how roots dig away into the earth, or how the stars open their eyes to the night, or how a vine becomes one with the wall it loves. Or how, when I hold you, you are rain in my hands. Demanded Courageously by Julia Hartwig Make some room for yourself, human animal. Even a dog jostles about on his master's lap to improve his position. And when he needs space, he runs forward without paying attention to commands or calls. If you didn't manage to receive freedom as a gift, demand it as courageously as bread and meat. Make some room for yourself, human pride and dignity. The Czech writer Havel said, I have as much freedom as I take. Thank you. Thank you. 
A dear friend of mine has two girls. They're middle schoolers now, but when they were preschoolers, their grandmother gave them a Noah's Ark toy. It had all of the animals and Noah's family all made out of plastic, and an ark big enough for everyone to fit inside. It quickly became the girls' favorite toy. And like other preschoolers, these girls narrated the stories they played together. And they took the biblical story that their grandmother had told them and put their own twist on it, making the ancient story make sense to them. And then Noah went and adopted all of the animals in the shelter, one girl would say. And then her sister would chime in. Noah and her wife took them to the boat where they could be safe and warm. Noah and her wife. And maybe it's because the robes on the plastic figures look a little bit like dresses. Maybe it's because Noah fits the patterns of female names to a preschool ear, Anna, Maria, Noah. Whatever the reason, these girls were certain that Noah and her wife were the ones who saved the animals. So do you know what this means? This means we live in a world now where children assume that there is a lesbian married couple in the Bible. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. And we know this isn't every child, but the reality that there are any children with this worldview is a profound and beautiful change. This is a new and wonderful world in many ways. And it has taken so many to get us here. Activists and advocates, lawyers and legislators, politician and politicians and lots of regular people with no fancy titles or training. Millions of ordinary people who risked sharing the truth about who they are, who told their stories and transformed the hearts of others. People who lived their lives and live their lives as authentically as they can manage. People who listened to and witnessed these truths and kept their hearts open and compassionate, who allowed themselves to be transformed. People who joined together to make real and lasting change. And there are so many stories about how we got from the childhood Catherine described to this childhood now, where our kids are told over and over again that there's no such thing as boy things and girl things and that Noah and her wife were in the Bible. So I'm just going to tell one of those stories about how we got there from here. And it's a classic, so I'm sure some of you already know it. The Stonewall Inn is a dingy bar on Christopher Street in the West Village in New York City. Now it's a national historic landmark, and you can see tourists posing for selfies in front of it if you go by there. But then... In 1969, it was a dingy bar serving overpriced, watered-down drinks. And it was a bar that was known in the gay and lesbian communities for being a relatively safe place to gather. And that relatively is an important word because it was not a safe place. The police raided it at least once a month, despite the owners paying thousands of dollars every month in protection to the police. There wasn't crime at all being committed. The police raided because they could, because of the homophobia so prevalent at the time, 
because they knew that the people who gathered at the Stonewall Inn were too fearful to complain about police mistreatment. The police would come and the people gathered would disperse. And many who went to the Stonewall Inn were afraid of being arrested, afraid of what it would mean for their life and their livelihood if word got out that they were there, if, that, if they were at that place where gay and lesbian people gathered. It wasn't that long ago that this was the reality, but it was a very different time. Then there were a few groups of gay men and lesbians who had organized themselves and were advocating for what we would now call LGBT rights. They believed that safety was to be found through privacy. People should be left alone in their own homes or in semi-private bottle clubs like the Stonewall Inn. The phrase come out hadn't been given its modern meaning. That phrase just did not exist. There is no word for telling someone about your sexual orientation because with very rare exceptions, it just wasn't done. It wasn't that long ago, but it was a very different time. And that all began to shift in late June 1969. On June 27th, the police came to raid the Stonewall Inn as they had done many, many times before. But this time, it was different. This time, the people resisted. Some say that this resistance had been building for a while. Other raids at other places had gone less and less smoothly in the months leading up to this. Some say that the people at Stonewall that night were inspired by the increasing militancy of other social justice movements of the day. And some say the final push was the death of singer and actress Judy Garland just a few days earlier, a woman so beloved by some in that community that the phrase, a friend of Dorothy, was a euphemism for being gay. Whatever the reason, that night the people at the Stonewall Inn resisted. They left the bar when the police arrived but did not disperse. And so when the police came out of the bar, the people... They were met by an angry crowd yelling and throwing bottles and cans and coins. And the police were startled and retreated back inside the bar. They called for backup. And the riot squad arrived and tried to disperse the crowd with fire hoses. And the people didn't leave. There was chaos. The police eventually got out of the bar and beat a number of people in the crowd. Police cars were attacked by some of the bar patrons. And meanwhile, a group of drag queens formed a high-kicking line and sang through it all. So this new energy, this new resistance spread throughout the gay and lesbian community in New York City over the next day. And the following night, people went to the bar again. The police came again, and confrontation and chaos ensued. The police finally left at 4 a.m., which is when it all started to calm down. So these nights, known as the Stonewall Rebellion, the Stonewall Riot, the Stonewall Uprising, or Christopher Street Liberation, were the beginning of a shift in the gay and lesbian community. The existence, the organizations in existence then, as I said earlier, had been advocating for safety through privacy. They believed that if LGBT people kept to themselves and didn't bother anybody, perhaps they'd be left alone. And after Stonewall, a new movement emerged, the gay liberation movement. They were not interested in privacy. 
As one historian of these times writes, gay liberation argued that safety and liberation were found only by living in, challenging, and changing the public sphere. They would not keep quiet anymore. This new group of activists knew that their liberation was linked with the liberation of other oppressed people. They knew we are not free until all of us are free. And many of these gay activists had been part of other movements for social change. The women's movement, the black power movement, the anti-war movement. And in all of that previous activism, they kept their sexuality a secret. In this new emerging movement, they wanted to be all of themselves, embrace all of their identities. And though the word hadn't been invented yet, these activists were aware of intersectionality. Intersectionality is a concept that comes from law professor Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the term two decades after Stonewall. It is used to describe the ways in which forms of oppression, such as racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, classism, and so many others, are interconnected and cannot be understood or overcome separately from one another. There was a lot of conversation about intersectionality related to the recent women's marches. Perhaps you caught some of that. The term was born of a legal case in which black women sued about employment discrimination and were told that they couldn't sue about gender and race discrimination simultaneously. They had to pick one. But that is not how lives work. The sexism that these women faced was linked to the racism they experienced and, impulse, and all of that impacted their experience on the job. We all carry multiple identities, race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, national origin, and so many others. And the way we experience the world is based on the intersections and overlapping of all of those identities. No one is just one thing. No one is just their gender or race or any other piece of their identity. And so this idea of intersectionality encourages us to see all of, that all of the efforts to overthrow oppression are linked, and all areas of oppression must be resisted together. This is where the women's marches face some criticism for focusing only on the issues of sexism. And the leaders listened and for the most part responded well. If one is going to be committed to improving women's lives, one needs to advocate for people with disabilities, as many people with disabilities are women. One needs to advocate for immigrants, as many immigrants are women, and so on and so on. None of us lead single-issue lives. And so the leaders of this emerging gay liberation movement in 1969 understood this. In August, just a few weeks after the Stonewall Uprising, there was a national conference of gay organizations. And these emerging activists attended and got a resolution passed in support of other activist movements. They passed a re resolution against the Vietnam War and in support of, and these are 1969 words, the black, the feminist, the, the Spanish-American, the Indian, the hippie, the young, the student, and other victims of oppression and prejudice. The other social change movements of the time did not share this commitment to intersectionality, and they did not embrace and support gay liberation as, mu as much as the gay liberation movement supported them. They struggled to build coalitions with other groups. 
Coming out, telling the people in your life about your sexual orientation became another key piece of this new gay liberation movement. LGBT people began to come out in larger and larger numbers, risking rejection by friends and family, or being fired from their jobs because of their honesty about themselves. And in those early years, coming out was nearly always met with rejection. It's sometimes different now, not always, but sometimes. And so people often created their own communities, often revolving around sanctuaries like bars, which is why it mattered so much and was so deeply wounding to so many that the largest mass shooting in modern American history took place in a gay bar, the Pulse nightclub, last June. So coming out, this honesty, this truth-telling mattered, and hearts changed because of it. And when hearts change, laws change. In 1972, just three years into this new movement, East Lansing passed the country's first non-discrimination ordinance that included sexual orientation. By 1976, 29 cities had them. In 1975, Elaine Noble, a lesbian woman, was elected to the Massachusetts State House, and she was the first openly gay or lesbian person to hold elected office. By 1979, 20 states had repealed their laws against sodomy, laws that were often used to harass LGBT people. In 1978, California voters decided on Proposition 6, which, if passed, would have made it illegal for lesbians, gay men, or anyone who was found, and this is in quotes, advocating, imposing, encouraging, or promoting homosexuality to teach in public schools. The activists opposing Proposition 6, including Harvey Milk, the man whose killing inspired the song we sang earlier, used the slogan, come out, come out, wherever you are, to urge gay men and lesbians to talk to the people in their lives about why this proposition mattered to them how it would negatively impact them if it passed. And the proposition failed. Every, there was no rules against who could teach in public schools. The courage of those coming out Californians changed votes and changed history. And one more important legacy of the Stonewall Uprising began on the first anniversary of the event. In 1970, there were Christopher Street Liberation Day parades held in New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles. These grew into the pride parades and pride festivals that we have come to expect every June. They are a chance to celebrate the LGBT community and feel pride in a community that has overcome so much. And remember that there is still much to do. A lot has changed in the nearly 48 years since the events at Stonewall. Then coming out wasn't even a phrase in our language. Now, nine million adults in this country identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. That's a lot of coming out that's happened. Now, 87% of Americans know someone who is gay, lesbian, or bisexual. And that courage to share one's story with others has changed our country. The Supreme Court overturned state laws against sodomy in 2003 and made same-sex marriage legal across the country in 2015. Coming out has a much lower social cost now, at least in many communities and many families. 
than it did 48 years ago because so many people have trod that path already. Now, more and more, people who come out are met with love and acceptance. We are in a world where princess boys are supported and preschoolers assume there are married lesbians in the Bible. But we know that we're not there yet. We're not to the promised land. We know things are not as good as they could be. We saw that this week when the Justice Department rescinded guidelines instructing public schools to allow transgender children to use the bathroom of their choice that aligns with their gender identity. We know that 40% of homeless youth are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender kids who were kicked out of their homes when they came out to their parents or were outed. And people knowledgeable about this here think the percentage in Kalamazoo is higher because we are a relatively progressive city in a more conservative region, and so kids might be coming here for support, services, and acceptance. And we know that this is not just our children who face ongoing discrimination. There are no national laws protecting LGBT people from discrimination in employment and housing, so they can get married, but when their marriage announcement is in the paper, they might get fired for it or evicted. There are no state laws protecting LGBT people from discrimination in employment and housing here in, Cal- here in Michigan, though there are certain cities like Kalamazoo who have passed their own ordinances. So there is much left to do. But before we go out into this world to do this and all of the other important work that calls to us, let us celebrate the courageous people, including the brave souls here among us today, who have brought us this far. Let us celebrate the transforming power of telling one's truth and the transforming power of relationship. So may we all have the courage to share with the people in our lives the deepest, deepest truths of our hearts. May the story of one night in June at the Stonewall Inn and the movement it birthed inspire us all to act with courage. May we know that none of us are free until we are all free. May it be so. May we make it so. And amen.